once they realized that, hey, this stuff is treating abscesses, it's treating dengue fever, which even our big medical guys can't do, it's treating malaria, it's uh-huh. treating all sorts of stuff. Um, wow, we need to start doing this. And so that's when they started the mission and they started doing this. And he treated his own family. He treated the, the uh, you know, when everybody was getting sick in his, in his place in the Dominican Republic, he treated everybody with this. They all got well. And the doctors abandoned him for using non-standard care, which I think is really sad. But anyway, so over time, it got used by these missionaries going to Africa and all around the world. And, and, and then he moved to uh, Colombia And essentially, he didn't get into trouble with this when he was treating dengue fever or abscesses or cancer. He got in trouble because he had a radio show around the world that and he started people would call in and say, hey, I was taking this stuff for COVID. And suddenly I'm well, you know, it's like, whoa. And that was when they decided. And and, and if you think about how we're we become a lawless society, you know, first, the FDA um, went after ivermectin. They didn't want us to have ivermectin. They've they've facilitated shutting off the f- supply in our pharmacies, and then they've gone and they've shut off the inter. They tried to shut off the international supply by literally interdicting packages coming from India and other places with ivermectin and burning them. They don't even save it. They they tell the post office. They how does the FDA control the post office? Do you know what I mean? That's what they yeah. were doing. But then they had to put they had to get Bishop Grennan to shut up essentially what they had to do. And <laughs> so they um they literally got somebody. I personally think they're a little overzealous here, but you know what happened is somebody came down to to Dominican Republic and got there, I'm not the Dominican Colombia, got the Colombia gendarmes to go and arrest him. And at first yeah. they refused to do it. Then they went back and got him. And then it became a nightmare because they were making money holding him for extradition. Yeah. Then they have just petty greed takes over. So they were making money holding for extradition. And you've got to put this in perspective. Here's a guy that all he was doing was running a, a, a mission, a medical mission. He was using natural foods, uh, periodic fasting. It wasn't just chlorine dioxide. This was part of his regimen where he was taking sick people that couldn't get medical care in their system and making them well for free. Yeah right? For free, yeah. for donations from, you know, he just like any church, he solicited donations, but it was free for these poor people. And he was having success. And so are they in Africa and all around the world with this. But what happened is they had, they arrested him and kept him in, you know, captivity for years. He's been, there's almost three yeah. years going on yeah. just because they didn't want him speaking. So everybody needs to wake up and realize that's what's going on. I mean, we have in our, in my state of Iowa, our governor said, oh, no, no, I, I think this is horrible, but nothing ever happens. We've got over 20 of us that had our licenses being examined by the state medical board. Now, essentially, if you really look at it, the state medical boards all over did this, um, except Nebraska. So I often, I have a, a Nebraska license, but I also have an Iowa license. And my problem is in the Iowa state, they've decided to come after my license. They're investigating and it's In December, it'll be a year. Okay, that they've been investigating it, a confidential investigation. But what are they really complaining about? You know, they asked me three things. My basis of medical ethics. That was easy. Mm. I said, you know what I said? I said, oh, in 1980 at the University of Rochester, I I took the oath of Hippocrates. I still mean it. Next question. (laughs) You know, Um, because Hippocrates said, and at the time, I didn't appreciate how profound this is, whether it's whether he ever really exists or not. In the original oath, this is what it said, that when you enter the house of the patient, you will only go in for the good of the patient. 
Now, I thought to myself when I was, you know, young, 27-year-old or 28-year-old graduate of medical school, I thought, well, why else would you go into that? Who else are you going to care? <laughs> oh, now I know. It's the yeah. bottom line of Medicare. It's the COVID Nazis. It's, you know, for the hospital administrators. You go, There are a lot of people that want the patient dead instead of you. You're, you're yeah. supposed to take care of the patient. They don't care about it. So that was number one. The second thing they asked me is the basis, how, how dare I use off-label medicines? Well, this is a joke because off-label medicine is used 22% of all prescriptions run in the hospital are off-label. You know, when you, so people understand this, when you, when you get a new drug out to market, it takes 15 years and gazillion dollars. If you find a new use for it, you don't go through that again. You just use it. That's called using it off-label. If I find out that uh, your toothpaste actually works as an anti-cancer, I'm making this up, an anti-cancer medication, and I start, you know, having people use it for that reason, I don't have to go back through the FDA and get it reapproved, right? That's just the <laughs> no. way it is. So, so that was, I just quoted the FDA's actual legal status and left that one to go. But the third one is really what it's all about. And they said, you are speaking in ways that are not, commensurate essentially with the uh, official the official dogma of the um, medical government authorities that's what they're going after us for yeah you're not we're not spouting what the government spouts and so i you know when i wrote them back i said you know last time i looked um this speech was protected against the uh, under the first amendment to the constitution and i um and that we are, you know, and that and that just being forced to speak on if the government, if, you know, medicine changes, even on the most just on the simplest explanation here, what we used to the half life of truth in medicine is about 20 years. They actually studied that in cardiology. They looked at the journal, what it said was true 20 years mm -hmm. ago, and they found that about 50 percent of it was wrong 20 years later. So yeah. if you take the official dogma, you're you're going to be wrong. At some point, you're going to be wrong. And so you cannot, you cannot use that system, uh, it, regardless of COVID and everything else. That is a system to enforce mediocrity and bad medical care. Science uh -huh. doesn't work that way. Science moves ahead fast. You know, the, the, the story I like to tell about that is George Washington, you know, father of our country. He, George Washington was a tough guy. He was like in, in a day when most guys were in their early five foot one, five foot two. He was six, two or something like that. He was a great big strapping guy very healthy. He'd survived smallpox. He'd survived lots of things. And, but he, but he couldn't survive organized medicine. So when he got sick in his sixties, sometime late sixties, he, um, he was at Mount Vernon and mm -hmm. he got a throat infection. And so his airway started closing down epiglottitis type thing, where his airway started closing down. Well, being the father of our country, he got six doctors or seven doctors, or something were called in to all confab and they, they all went and investigated and talked to him and did an exam. And then they came out together and they all talked about what they should do. And, you know, there was this and that and the other thing. And this one young doctor said, you know, he's closing down his airway. I was just came back from Europe. And um, in Europe, they have a new procedure. It's called a tracheotomy. And what they do is they make a little hole here and they put a tube in so you can breathe around the obstruction while your body heals the infection. Now, given how robust George was, he might have survived if they'd done that. But no, the other doctors were horrified. They said, wait, that's not approved standard of care. And they did the standard of care. And the standard of care was they applied leeches to his nose and Ooh, he died. Wow. You see, that's what that's what standard of care really is. Yeah. It's just a codified out of date 
regimen. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, well, you know, that's when, <laughs> you know, they talk about the risk and the benefit and, you know, and they're watching these people drop left and right. And they say that the, the benefit is still worth the risk. And I'm wondering who's benefit. You right. Well, I mean, they, with, again, they're not, they know better. I, I, I mean, these, these people that are saying that are part of the known takedown. This is a yeah. bioweapon. So we have to understand yeah. that that's not by accident, but, but, but how about the doctors on the medical board? You see, those are the ones I have to question. Are they really uh -huh. part of the what I call the Kazarian mafia? Are they the people that set this up to, to murder people or are they just not paying attention? Because yeah. um, under any circumstance, I, I mean, I, I like Scott Atlas. I think he tried to do a good job, but it's, it was shocking to me to find out that that Dr. Atlas, who was Trump's White House advisor, had never opened the VAERS when I talked to him about wow. the deaths in the VAERS. So uh, maybe he has subsequently. I hope he has, because he was trying to cite stuff about the studies on elderly women like his mother taking the vaccine. I said, I finally leaned forward. I said, I had dinner with him one night. I said, Dr. Dr. Atlas, have you actually read the VAERS data? And here was his first comment, which he would not have accepted on anybody else discussing medical literature. He said, well, they say. That was the first three words. I knew right then. He hadn't yeah. opened it. You they say. So the, these guys are, the, 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 they can't possibly be looking at the data. I mean, you know, we've lost 10 professional soccer teams to this vaccine, this non-vaccine. You know, and people say, well, that's a small number of people compared to how many we vaccinated, but that's not the only people. That's not the way you look at it. You see, that's that's moving the goalposts. It's like yeah. you need to look at soccer players over time and actually yeah. did that. And if you do that, you find out that the FIFA looks at death on the field. They can't get the total deaths, but they look at the death on the soccer field. It goes back to 1889, believe it or not. What what about is I heard you speak about expectant mothers that there were no studies done right, prior right. to well, I have I have the actual Pfizer document saying who they excluded in the study. They excluded the immunocompromised. Who did they say should take these vaccines? The elderly, the immunocompromised and pregnant women. Oh, it's all safe for everybody. Right. No, they didn't study it on children, the immunocompromised and pregnant women. And they say it right in their own document before all the rollouts. So they knew and we knew it again. What were those guys on the medical board doing? Because those of us at AFLDS knew it right away. Simone Gold asked us, hey, have you guys seen the, the data for this stuff that they're just going to roll out tomorrow? Because this was the day before the vaccine was coming out. We couldn't get a hold of the EUA. Well, maybe two days before. I think we got a hold of it the day before, the night before. Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm not a statistician. I can read scientific papers but that's my, the number crunching of scientific papers is not my forte and that's why they admit that there's a lot of accidental mistakes in in publications of science of, of medical documents but anyway some of my colleagues are and when they looked at it right away they said this does not prove that this stops transmission their numbers are wrong they've they've added them up wrong um this column doesn't meet this column and it's only at the best 13% benefit. That's not enough to be considered a vaccine. It should be over 50%. So that's not enough. So they, and they, and they said, I remember having this discussion online with a group of us and, and, and they said they're, they haven't done it in, in, it's only very select people that were in the study. They were healthy, well people. They weren't pregnant. They weren't sick. They weren't elderly. Um, so that's what you get. So we don't really know what this is going to do in the public, in the general public. And so we knew that to begin with. Mm. So now when it's starting to come out and people are saying, wait a minute, they didn't do, oh my gosh, we just found out. We just found out from the Pfizer dump that they didn't study pregnant women. Oh yeah. We knew that from the get go. So why, you know, again, where are the university boys? 
they're paid. Okay, where are the board members? Now they, I mean, I hope my Iowa board numbers are not being paid, but they have a feeling there's money exchanging hands or threats somewhere because how could they miss this? Yeah. So because yeah. you cannot, if nothing else, you cannot give informed consent if you don't know what's in this stuff. And we still don't have a written document that shows us what's in this vaccine. Wow. Because it's under emergency use authorization. Now, the emergency use authorization allows you to put something on the market. And the only thing you have to disclose is that part for which you claim efficacy. So what did they disclose? They said, this vaccine contains the uh, mRNA to produce the spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That's what they disclosed. Now, they, they also have a bunch of other stuff like the polyethylene glycol and the, the what's in that nanoparticulate shell, but they put it in such a way that it's pretty useless for the average person to look at it and know anything. So it would be like me, you're missing in action and we're trying to find you. <laughs> And they and, and somebody describes you as well. He's made of glucose and and um, amino acids and calcium and magnesium. And they give your they give your body contents of all those things. That doesn't give me a picture of you, right? How, no. <laughs> how how dangerous is it to tinker with mRNA? Well, so there's where we get into what really here. This is even the bigger lie. So here's the thing. I is very dangerous. I mean, just on the face of what they said we were doing is why we that had a conscience spoke out and said, I didn't initially say, don't take it. I knew it. I thought it was a bioweapon, but what I said, because I've always done this with patients, I never make their decisions. I just said, look, this has never been tested on humans before. The animal studies failed. Okay. And we don't know what's in it. So my advice to you is don't run out and take it. Treat this like a new car line that nobody's ever seen before. New technology. You wouldn't be the first guy to run out and get a new Lincoln that had all new engine technology, right? Expensive car, all new yeah. engine technology. You would wait and see what happened to those guys that took it, you know, what I'm saying? <laughs> bought the car. So just that's what I would advise people at first. Now, now I don't say that. I say, this is crazy. If you take this, you're it's suicidal. Yeah. But, um, but, but, and it doesn't have to be, this is what I'm going to tell you that but, uh -huh. but the biggest lie may be in this. And again, I can't prove this because this is all, everything we know about what's in this vaccine is circumstantial evidence. But the circumstantial evidence is this, that, that 18 independent researchers, people in independent labs like La Quinta Columna and the German group that also published this. I have a big interview on my Rumble channel and on my website with Purnima Wag. Purnima Wag is a, it was a lab, is a lab scientist. Mm -hmm. um, people want to want to discredit her because she doesn't have a PhD in virology, and it said somewhere she did. I she never told me she did, but she has the training. Don't don't confuse competence with certificates. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but these people all talk. These researchers and and they had samples that they could that they were given to prove that there was SARS-CoV-2 in there. They couldn't prove that. But the real tech ticker is when they were given vials, and these guys looked between the eighteen of these people, they've looked at like. Sputnik, um, the AstraZeneca vaccine, the Sinovac. They've looked at all different types of vaccines and they can't find RNA or genetic material in any of them. So I don't think that's, I think that the whole, and, and I, and so that's one bit of circumstantial evidence that you've got independent labs saying, this isn't an RNA technology. Karen, now, I was listening to Karen Kingston, I think it is. Right, right. She 